0: We are in Mark 15, hopefully finishing this chapter tonight. Uh, It's Jesus on the cross. Uh, We're picking up where uh, they take him to Golgotha. Oh, no, no, excuse me, excuse me, that's the front page. I'm going to start on the notes on page 5 of the notes last week. They're also online underneath the uh, live video feed on on the Generation Word site. Just click notes and they'll pop up. Same notes as last week, I've just added a page to it. Because we're beginning in, I said 22 there. I'm, I'm looking at verse 33 is really where we're starting at. Um, and this is where it begins the, uh, the sixth hour. And I'll, I'll read through here just in the English Standard Version, a few of the verses. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sebastianai, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is going to send us to Psalm 22, which starts talking about the suffering uh, uh, man, the, the suffering uh, faithful man, the godly man that is suffering. And that could be, it could be Joseph. Now, again, it, I'm just saying, you've got examples Joseph was faith. You go back to the Garden of Eden. Abel was faithful and got killed. Joseph was faithful and went through all the persecutions. But the faithful man always has God's protection. Not necessarily in this earth, but he's going to have to suffer. The, the, the faithful man is suffering. And you see that David wrote psalms about, you know, suffering. Sometimes it's about David, but it prophesied about the Messiah. He, he compared himself many times to Jesus, maybe knowingly, maybe unknowingly, but the Spirit of God is making that connection. Isaiah, uh, chapter 53, we're going to go there, read through those verses real quickly. Isaiah talks about uh, the famous suffering servant. And, you know, when we, when we look at that as Christians, we look at that Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, we just, we see Jesus. I mean, uh, it, it's clear it's talking about Jesus. Now, I'm going to say that. I'm going to back up. To us, having believed in Christ, knowing Christ is the Messiah, uh, we look back and we can see Christ so many places. But if you do not understand Jesus Christ, or if you do not believe the story of Jesus Christ, you think it's fiction, you think it's fabricated, you know, you've rejected it, you still have these verses. Like if you were Jewish, you still have these are Jewish verses. So you're going to find the suffering servant is going to be, and, and they do a great job of teaching it, the suffering servant would be Isaiah himself. Isaiah himself is the one, because like you know, like Abel, uh, David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, they all suffered. Isaiah eventually was sawn in two by King Manasseh. Uh, Jeremiah was rejected by the people, put in you know, pits in prison and then taken, forced to go to Egypt with the people. We don't know what happened to him. The legends are he got stoned, but there's nothing, you know, we, we know for sure what happened to Jeremiah, except he was a suffering servant. So it could be, in Isaiah 53, is talking about himself, or it could be even, how about this? The whole nation of Israel, God's chosen nation, hasn't risen up and conquered the world throughout history, uh, they, they came together as a nation in slavery. They came in and had to face the Canaanites. They went through a series of suffering of oppression from the Midianites or the, the Philistines, eventually the Assyrians and the Babylonians. They come back to the land, they, they have to face the Greeks, Antiochus, Epiphanes, and then eventually the Romans, then 70 A.D., the destruction. Now they're scattered around the world. And then, of course, we've got modern history, uh, the 1900s, and, you know, last month, or this month, what's going on? It's like Israel is the suffering servant of these verses. So I'm going to read them, and I'm going to see very clearly Jesus in these verses, a prophecy of what's taking place in Mark 15. But I'm just saying couple of things. If you reject that, you can still see someone that's following God is going to suffer. And Psalm 22 and other verses, this is the concept. If you're going to follow God, if you're going to be committed to God, this world is going to reject. That's what Hebrews is about that. It says, you know, many it, it, at the end of Hebrews chapter 11 talks about many rose up and conquered kingdoms and overcame. But others were destitute, they were driven out. The world was not worthy of them. And so the ideal of a suffering servant, Jesus is the ultimate ultimate suffering servant. uh, But this is a a typical case uh, of a a person that's following God is is going to have these these situations that he's going to suffer. And so that's right here in in chapter 15, verse 34, on page 5 of the notes. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's starting quoting Psalm 22. And I believe he's going to quote Psalm 22 all the way until the end. I turn the page of the notes, page 5, so go to page 6. And some bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his, la- breathed his last. And then the curtains were torn. And when he breathed his last, he's going to say, uh, the other gospels, he's going to say, it is finished. And that is the last line of Psalm 22. And so the f- opening line is, my God my God, why have you forsaken me? All of Psalm 22, we're going to read it. And then the end is basically, it is finished, or he has done it. And all the way through this, this is not whining and griping. Like on, on Sunday, we're talking in Jude about the false teachers that Jude is dealing with. They're grumblers and fault finders. They, 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 they're not satisfied with God's you know, will for their lives. They're not satisfied. They're complaining. This person is complaining, the suffering servant, if it be Joseph or David, uh, if it's Jesus, uh, they're going to be crying out. We're going to see in Hebrews, he was crying out, He, he learned obedience by what he suffered. Paul talks about that. So he's going to be suffering, and he's going to be crying out, but it's not a hopeless, bitter crying out, it's because he's suffering. I mean... I, you know we've all hurt ourselves you know you, you, you hit your thumb with a hammer and it's like you know you don't need a you know unleash a, a string of profanity and calling down curses and blaming God or whatever but you may go ah it hurts or you know scream or cry it's like so where's that that meter of you know, the, there's pain. Ah, I smashed my thumb. God, ah, it hurts. And then you meet, cross a line, and then you start releasing a, a whole line of profanity and cursing. It's like, okay, you're gonna have to to respond to pain. Is well, I want to be a good Christian. It's like, I know, and I, again, as my own life, I've had to. You know, it's like, okay, that that's 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 profanity, and it's like, I don't want to say anything. It's like, well it hurts, right? It's like, I'm crying. It's like, so there's that, when you, when you start to suffer, there's going to be the, the crying out, but then you can go to the place where you're crying out and you're fault-finding, you're grumbling, you're cursing, you're, you're hopeless, you're, you're angry at everybody, and God included. Well, in this suffering, there's always hope. You're, you're crying out, but you say, ah, I'm sorrowful, I'm, I'm in trouble. But there is hope. You know, the sun will come up tomorrow type of attitude. And the sun not being just the secular idea, but I'm suffering, but God is still on the throne. I may have smashed my thumb with a hammer, but God is still ruling the universe. This is not the end. Oh, let's say the classic was just happened this last week in that that soccer player girl, uh, the, the freaky person who's, uh, you know who I'm talking about? What's her name? Don't, don't even say her name. Yeah, I don't even say her name. I don't. But, uh, yeah, no. But, you know, she she gets hurt. And then her conclusion is that means uh, if there was a God, why would he let this happen? There is no God. It's like, okay, that, that's, as, that's as elementary, as dumb, as disconnected thinking as you can have. You're clearly on this side of the scale. Because if you go back and read, the whole concept is... You're going to suffer on this side of eternity. What you do with your suffering is look for God. God is your hope. Well, I want all my good things right now in this age. Well, that's the whole point. This age is not the kingdom of God. Uh, The prayer, Jesus prayed, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom is not here. Again, we're building the kingdom. We're members of the kingdom. The kingdom is among us. you got all different ways of looking at it. But clearly, Satan is not locked up. Some people say, well, Satan's been locked up during the church age. I had someone, I was talking many years ago at a Bible study, and uh, 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 it was a pastor's wife. Uh, and his, she, his, her husband had died. And she said, well, isn't Satan bound up already? And I said, well, I said, what do you think? Does it look like he's bound up? She goes, well, No. I mean, you know, if, if this is the kingdom age, if we're in the millennium, uh, this is kind of a letdown. I mean, it's like, really, this is the best God can do because this is what, I mean, Biden and the politicians and the Hollywood, this is the best the Western civilization can do, and we're collapsing. And it's like, well, I hope there's something else. And there is. And so the kingdom is going to come to the earth. And so this is the hope. We're suffering... I mean, if you're having a great day, you're suffering, you're a day older, you're, you're getting weaker, things, things are deteriorating around you, uh, and so you can't put your hope in today. And so if you want all of your victories today, and you're going to reject Christ and the hope for tomorrow, uh, that's, that's a very disappointing light. You've really got a, a misperspective of history. Nonetheless, we're going to read through Psalm 22, the suffering servant. And this is, again, many people can fit in that idea. Jesus is stepping right into that role of a suffering man of God, following God's will. And I want to read Psalm 22. And you're going to see, well, if you look um, down in point three on page five, I've got Psalm 22:15. 15, written out there he says my strength in the psalmist writes my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws you lay me in the dust of death that sounds like jesus on the cross psalm twenty-two, sixteen through 18 for dogs encompass me that would be the gentiles having surrounded him the roman guards the centurion a company of evildoers encircles me they have pierced my hands and feet now that's really a, a unique verse. Pierce my hands and my feet. What does that mean in 1,000 B.C. when David is saying they've pierced my hands and my feet? I mean, clearly in 30 A.D. they've pierced Jesus' hands and his feet. Uh, I can count all my bones. Uh, that would be someone that's in a hanging like Jesus on a cross and all the joint. Well. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. So all those things, that's in between verse 1 and the final verse of Psalm 22. So let me read it right here and just capture this. uh, If you don't mind, it it may take a moment. Psalm 22. I'm I'm reading the NIV now. My notes are English standard. Uh, It says... uh, for the directive music to the tune of The Doe of the Morning, a Psalm of David. So there would have been some song that they were familiar with. The, the strings sound like this. The tambourines play like this. You've got some bass singers here. You've got you know, the lead vocal over here. And now he's just going to say, we're going to sing it with that, but I'm going to put these words to that song. So this would have matched that song. It would be nice to know what that song is. And of course, we don't. Uh, those words that David wrote were, Again, this doesn't sound very Christian. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this is a a, a popular song. This is a popular psalm. This is something that David wrote for the glory of God. But he begins by, in a sense, cursing God. Not really cursing, but renouncing. Not really renouncing. Questioning God. It's like accusing God. Why have you you forsaken me? Why why have you forsaken me? And uh, the ideal is... Why does it appear that you've forsaken me? Because he's going to go on and say, I cannot accept that statement. I, why have you forsaken me? He's like, no, you haven't. It's like, but I'm suffering. There must be something else going on. I, I've been forsaken, it appears. But when I look into my future, look into faith, when I see what you're doing, you're doing great things. But yet, meanwhile over here, I'm suffering. And so there's that tension of, why did I get hurt in the soccer game and why didn't I have my greatest final last game of my life? There must not be a God. It's like, why did this happen? Because I know you're doing great things. See, David's different. Because bad things happen, there must not be a God. Because bad things happen, God is still doing something. I'm looking for where God is going to bring this terrible event. Where is he going to bring it to? That's, it's, more, it's hopeful, although it comes across as very negative. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Now again, David's writing this 1,000 B.C. Jesus, it appears, is quoting it on the cross. Now again, I can't, I can't guarantee you that's what he's doing, but you've got to imagine if he's going to let anything float through his head, if he's going to be mumbling something on the cross, he's going to be staying focused on something relative to his position He's being forsaken by God. He's suffering, but there is hope. There is hope, and he's not going to give up hope even as he's dying on the cross. So imagine now, not just David writing this 1000 BC, but Jesus saying all these words while he's on that cross between 6th hour and the ninth hour, because that's when he begins quoting it and ends in the ninth hour, uh, potentially. Let's read it again. Oh my God, verse 2, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. See, I'm suffering down here, but yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. Although I'm suffering, you're still the glory of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. David, now again, David's writing this. But David would look back and say, Moses had issues, but he trusted you. Abraham had issues, but he trusted you. They cried to you and were saved. And in you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. That's exactly what's happening on the cross. People are walking by, they're mocking Jesus, they're hurling insults, and they're shaking their heads as a sign of disgrace. And then they're saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. If God is really God and he's really a man of God, God won't let him stay in that position. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And if he doesn't come off the cross, that must mean he doesn't delight in him. And that's, again, that's that, that, that formula that contradicts our logic. If Jesus dies on the cross and God leaves him there, then he must not have been a man of God. Unless God was doing something bigger than just bringing deliverance in this age. Uh, yet, and then, then David writes, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. And then this could be Jesus referring to his life. I mean, first thing he de- first thing it happens, he's born, and guess what happens? The king of Israel, Herod, sends soldiers to kill him. I mean, he's like two, three, four days old, and Herod's already trying to eliminate him. So, what's Jesus going to do? I just trust. I mean, as an infant, and again, you've got to remember, Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. He was the 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 incarnation the hypostatic union he was a man born and growing in his you know as a as a man as a child it, it, learning how to talk learning how to you know do skills but yet he was god from eternity past and so although as a man he was growing as god he was fully conscious he was not developing because he was god in the past he's god when he was conceived he was god when he was born and so uh, it says even hebrews writes when he comes into the world he says uh uh, sacrifice and offering hebrews quotes this out of psalm sacrifice and offerings you did not desire but a body you prepared for me i mean it says he said this when he came into the world now the baby didn't speak that but the it's like well when was jesus conscious well, as a child, it was pretty much probably like you. But as God, you have no understanding. You have no, you've never been God. But he wasn't like, he didn't become God at the baptism of John the Baptist. He was God all the way through. So it's like, at what point was that God thinking? It's like, it's like the idea is, he knew this all the way along. So he was trusting uh, as an infant. Verse ten. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am and again. That could be the, the attack at the cross being encircled. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. Again, that that all could tie into his death. We're going to talk about that in a moment. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me, and a band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. And again, even the priests were gloating over the fact that, well, there he is. Well, the fact that he's nailed, their logic, the very fact that he's nailed on the cross and dying proves we were right. He's not God. Uh, That's that's the mentality of that soccer player. It's like the very fact that Jesus is on the cross and is dying means He's not God. Or it means he's the Messiah paying for the sins of the world and is God himself. Of course, they couldn't go there. They didn't understand that. But they're gloating over him. Um, Okay, uh, cast my lots for, I lost my place. Oh, God, verse 17. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. I mean, how much more specific can you get? Again, this is David writing 1,000 B.C., it's got to have something to do with what's going on in his world, unless he's just straight up prophesying about what Jesus is. You know, it could be David's referring to his situation, and it connects to a prophecy, or David is just has nothing to do with David's situation, is just writing a song, a psalm. Uh, it's lyrics with music, so it's a song, but it's all prophetic. And again, we, I don't know. But you, O Lord, are not far. Be not far off. O oh, my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. Now, notice he's crying out for help. You I mean he said, This is a bad, bad situation. But you, O oh Lord, be there. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. Meaning, when I get delivered, I'm going to go off and I'm going to tell them. Just like Abraham could tell of his deliverance, Joseph could tell of his deliverance, David will tell of his deliverance, Jesus is going to be able to tell of his deliverance. In fact, in just a few days, Jesus will be proclaiming his resurrection. And the the apostles go claim the victory. I I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Now that's quite a bit different than the soccer player cursing God, saying there is no God because I got hurt, there must not be a God. This suffering servant is saying, I am suffering, but let you You know this, God is gonna deal with this and I will be restored and then all of you Will fear him, all of you praise him, all you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. You can be suffering, but God is listening and will respond. Now, You're not God. You don't get to make the rules or the timeline, but you can call on God who does make the rules, does provide the deliverance, and does establish the victory in his own timeline. So you can curse him and say there's no God, or you can wait for him in hope and enjoy the victory. Um, Verse 25, From you, the theme of my praise in the great assembly, before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Now, this would, if, this, if this is what Jesus is thinking or saying on the cross, again, or the, any suffering person, it's like the poor, uh, you're going to be satisfied. It's, they're encouraging everybody, for forgetting about themselves and projecting it out. I'm in bad, a bad situation, but all of you in bad situations, join me and let's start moving towards God because there's victory available for all of us in God. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. All, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow before Him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They'll proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn, for he has done it, or it is finished. He's done it. He's done it. It's done. It's finished. So when Jesus hangs on the cross and says, it is finished, it, it, it can be seen as, oh, my life is finished. Or this has taken place. Everyone that goes down to the dust of the earth will live again. Everyone who trusts in God, the victory is there. Why? Because he has done it. It is finished. you can't change this. It is set in stone it's going to be victory for the believers because God has declared it, and God is moving now you're suffering so that but yet you're heading towards the victory there's a difference between grumbling and you know cursing God and crying out because you hit your thumb with a hammer or you're suffering, but knowing, oh, this is going somewhere. I I, I don't feel it. I don't enjoy it. But I know God and I know what he's doing. I'm not having a good time now, but I'm not going to take my eye off God because I know where he's taking history. And that would be, uh, again, Psalm 22 that Jesus is saying there in verse 34 when he cries out, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sebastian, I. Now, this ties in with, well, let's go, ahead. we're going to go back to Isaiah 53 in a minute, but look at point five, uh, where I've got Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, just so you can hear a couple New Testament references, because Jesus was conscious on the cross. I mean, he was, uh, you know, uh, thinking. He was thinking clearly. Uh, chapter 5, verse Seven through nine of Hebrews, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Now that would be on the cross, but it also be throughout his life. To him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, how 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 can you change that? We are sons of God. So because I'm a son of God, I will not have to suffer. Wait, 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 where did you get that? Well, I would never make my children suffer. What do you mean, I mean, like, you mean you'd never train them? You'd never give them challenges? Uh, This right here says, although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Because he was on this earth, He had chances to disobey, but he learned how to turn and continue in obedience. You can can avoid the suffering and disobey God, or you can walk right into the suffering and be obedient. It's like, well, what are you more afraid of, God's judgment or suffering in the earth? Oh, I'm more afraid of God's judgment. Good, you fear God, walk into the suffering. Do not take the easy path out. He learned obedience through what he suffered. He could. He prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if there's God, if there's any other way, take, let this cup pass from me. But yet, your will be done. God says, there's no other way. You've got to. You've got to drink from this cup. You've got to go to the cross. I mean, he prayed three times. He asked three times. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Let's let, let be, let's not rush into it. Let's think. And I, I don't think Jesus was talking like that. But the idea is like, he he was as a human. He was consciously trying to get out of it but yet not willing to be disobedient because relation with God was more important. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And the number one thing he says is, what is the work, like in John, what is the work that we must do, they ask? And Jesus says, to believe, to believe in the one he sent. What is the work we must do? believe is the work. Now again, once you believe, become a child of God now begins the training and the growing process, but the obedience is to accept Him, to walk into the, the, uh, the, the body of Christ that he's provided. Hebrews 12:2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. So there was joy set before him, that joy of psalm, I'm going to proclaim, your name to the everyone. I'm going to proclaim your name to everyone. And that was the joy. So he had the suffering he could have avoided, but he would have missed the joy of fulfilling it. And seated at the right hand of the throne of God as he is today. Uh, Philippians, page 6. Philippians 2, verses 4 through 11. This is Paul writing. Talking to the Philippians, he says uh, right around, say, 60 A.D., to the point of death like he he learned obedience through what he suffered and right here in obedience where where did jesus obedience to god take him it took him by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross which is like there's death and then there's death on a cross which is the most hideous death uh i mean if he started listening i'm gonna be very near the bottom of the worst Therefore, God has highly exalted him, the result, highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now with that being said, I want to go to Isaiah 53. And uh, there's a few other things in Isaiah 53, and I know you've looked at it before. Isaiah 53, it actually begins in Isaiah 52, with the talking about the suffering servant. And this is, uh, again, a a nice job of capturing all that is taking place in the work of Christ. Uh, And again, this is one of the great Israelite books, Jewish books. Um, they found this at the Dead Sea Scrolls—a a full section of the—I mean the full—and it's unrolled in uh, in the uh, in Israel around the, the 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 museum. The I think the the, the book. The what is that museum called? This. It's got the dome on it. Uh, we went. We've been there. It's the. I, I shouldn't be talking about. It. I can't even think of the name of it. But the, they've got it wrapped around the center. They've unrolled the scroll. Goes all the way around the building on the inside, and it's the whole book of Isaiah. And it matches what we've got today. Uh, it it it's the Masoretic te- matches the Masoretic text. It comes from like 200, 400 BC, and it matches this. So it's it's it's, it's no in Jerusalem. I want it, the book of the scroll, the museum of the scroll, something like this, the house of the scroll. Uh, but nonetheless this is in there from around 700 BC and it was written 200 to 400 AD on that particular scroll before these events took place and here we have it now in my English NIV Bible or you get a variety of translations but I mean Isaiah 52 verse 13 see my servant will act wisely now who is that servant it's Isaiah potentially it's the whole nation of Israel, okay? Potentially, there's, they teach that. But as Protestants, as Christians, as believers, uh, we see Christ in this. And you make your decision. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him... His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So his, this, this servant is going gonna, is gonna to act wisely, but he's going to end up not even looking like a human at the end. He's so marred and disfigured. I mean, Isaiah got sawed in half eventually. Um, so will he sprinkle... Many nations. Now again, that sprinkling is like an offering of sprinkling the blood of the covenant in Moses' day on the people of Israel. They're all under the old covenant. Jesus is going to establish the new covenant and is going to sprinkle the nations, not just Israel, but the nations will be sprinkled with the blood of the new covenant so they can join with this new covenant. So will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. In other words, they will have the kings of the nations will have to just stop talking. It's like he's in charge. I mean, there's there's no coming back, no answering, no challenging. It's like once he takes over, it's like we you know it, it's a sign of losing an argument when you shut your mouth, when you have no answer. I mean, sometimes you shut your mouth and just walk away, but that's not the case here. They're they're having a debate, and finally they just shut their mouths because okay there's no way you're you you you're in charge you know what you're doing the kings will shut their mouths because of him for what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand it's going to come up on it's going to come into their kingdom into their world that's where jesus is coming his kingdom come on earth as he said we get this in your minds if you, if you you've got to fight this this is this is western theology uh it, 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 it comes out of Greek philosophy. Paul dealt with it in 1 Corinthians 15. That, that the, 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 It was early Gnosticism also. But the physical world is bad, and we're going to go away to God in heaven. And you die, you go to heaven. Someday we'll all join everyone in heaven. No, Jesus did not say, uh, I'm coming to get you, to take you to my kingdom in heaven. He says, no. He says, pray like this. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What God is controlling in heaven, the ideal is heaven is going to come here and conform these nations into God's image. It's part of being born again. It's part of the renewal. It's what the Garden of, of Eden was supposed to be. Remember, God walked with them in the garden and then he had to go away because of sin but he promised someone's going to come through the seed of the woman and I'll crush the serpent's head. Where's the serpent? He's here, the God of this age. He's coming back to crush the serpent and bring the kingdom here. And so in the end, in the end, Jesus is coming back, not just to destroy the nations and take the Christians away. He's coming back to set up his kingdom on the earth and take over and rule the na- He's king of the kings, of the earth and that's not like somewhere in some distant galaxy or some spiritual dimension that's i mean some people are going to be disappointed <coughs> i thought we we're going to go away somewhere no 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 you're create you're a human you're created to live on earth you're not you're not created to live on a cloud you're not created to live in a galaxy far far away you're created to live on earth, the earth has been corrupted, it has fallen, you have a sin nature, number one, we're going to get rid of your sin nature, you're going to be born again, okay, now when the sons of God, Romans, now when the sons of God is revealed, the curse is going to be removed from creation, and creation is going to rejoice, creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, so they can be liberated from the bondage they are put under, by Jesus Christ. So when the sons of God are revealed, we're glorified, creation will be resurrected and we'll live here forever it's like we're not going to heaven no no jesus heaven is coming here look where jesus came jesus be god became a man and came here and then he well he went away though saying but i'll be back i'm going to go away and i'll be back and i'll set up my kingdom so keep that whole thing in mind right here when it talks about the kings for what they were told they will see for what they have not heard, they will understand. Guess what? Kingdom of God has come here. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord means the, the power of God. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Now, when I, he, who's he? Isaiah, Israel, well, we're going to say the incarnate Christ. He grew up like a man, like a tender root. And like a root out of dry ground, the dry ground being uh, the virgin birth from the line of David that had been cut off, that had been taken into captivity, dry, it had been cut, the, the root of Jesse will begin to grow again out of a dry ground. Now watch this. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. That word majesty, if you look right there, majesty in the NIV, and I, I, I almost put up some notes, but I thought, you've got enough notes. But that word is in the in the Hebrew. It is the word, Hadar, okay, uh, and it means glory. It means majesty. Don't lose your place in Isaiah fifty three, verse verse two, right there where it says he had no beauty or majesty, Hadar, that to, to attract us to him. This would be the Jews, the, the religious leaders. It's like well, he, well, he didn't look like God. I mean, he looked like a carpenter. He looked like a Jew. He looked like all of his disciples. Uh, He didn't look like, he had no Hadar. Now, keep your place there, but go over to Isaiah 63 because by the time you get to Isaiah 63, the storyline has progressed. We're now through the suffering. We're now through uh, the ages. And now we're to the place where uh, this Messiah is marching on the earth. He's, He's coming back in glory jesus even said when the son of man is is seated on his throne in glory and the reference there would be in the kidron valley in this area right here he'll call the nations to him and they'll be judged so when he comes and is seated on his throne in heavenly glory it it appears is is right here now again that's that's traditionally the way it's supposed to be and you could build the i don't want to say this is where it's going to be but that is where it appears it's going to be Heck, even Muslims think Jesus is going to sit in the Kidron Valley and judge. They do. They think Jesus is going to sit in the Kidron Valley and judge the world. Now, their Jesus is different than our Jesus, but that's another whole story. I learned that from a Muslim myself, and they said, well, Jesus is going to judge the world. It's like, that's what we believe. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. It's like, like, oh, it's a different Jesus. But nonetheless, okay, I'm in 63. Isaiah 63, verse 1. This is now when Jesus returns, or the Messiah comes to the earth. Uh, It says, who is this coming from Edom, now down south of uh, of Israel, from Basra, that's the capital, uh, it would be part of Jordan today, down south uh, of the Dead Sea, with his garments stained crimson, or red, all of his garments. Who is this, now watch, who is this coming from Edom, who is this? robed in splendor. See that word splendor? It's this word right here. They see the prophet, they say, who is this coming from Edom, coming from Basra? His his garments are all stained red. Uh, uh, He's he's clothed in in glory, the glory of God. Uh, uh, Striding forward in the greatness of his strength. And the answer, it is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations no one was with me. I trampled them, the nations, in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood splattered on my garments and I stained all my clothing. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and the year of my redemption has come. I looked but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm worked salvation for me and my own wrath has sustained me. So he came the first time and earned salvation Provided the sacrifice has been waiting and the day is coming where he's going to come back in Hadar or glory, uh, majesty, uh, the glory of God. But we go back to Isaiah 53 and in Isaiah 53, it says uh, he had verse two. He had no beauty or majesty to attract it. It's like if he would have, if Jesus just would have done what he did on the Mount of Transfiguration, we would have all thought differently about him. I mean, if he just would have stood there and says, and everyone just fell down, it's like, okay, okay, we see who you are. But no, no, he's coming, and he's not going to have Matt. You're not going to be able to look and say, you're God. You're, you know, here's the 12 disciples and Jesus. It's like, which one's Jesus? Judas had to kiss him. Judas had to decide, how will we know which one he is? Because they all look alike. All those Jews look alike from Galilee. They all look alike. I'll kiss. I'll be the one I kiss. and say, Master, kiss him. And Jesus says, you betrayed me. It's like, but if he had Hadar, if he had majesty, it's like, well, now which one's God? Well, you'll be able to tell. There's going to be like 12 dopey disciples or 11 dopey disciples out there from Galilee. They all look alike. And then there's going to be one that's like, you'll know, he looks like Zeus in the flesh. Okay. Oh, that's, that, they they couldn't they didn't recognize him. He just looked like everybody else. So it goes on. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow. There we go, that man of sorrow. And familiar with suffering like one from whom men hide their faces, meaning he's suffering. Uh, I don't want to deal with him. You ever had a, like, in a social situation and someone's like, you know, doing real good and successful, everybody wants to be their friend, all of a sudden everything goes south for him. everything goes bad. You know, they, they lose the house, lose the family, lose the marriage, lose the, it's all it's like, oh, I didn't see him. But three weeks before, it's like, you see me, oh, hi, how's it going? All of a sudden he goes back, It's like, oh, this right here, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. I didn't see him. He's, He's going through a hard time. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, what was going on? He took our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. He was on the cross for us. Yet we thought he was there because he wasn't God, but he was there because he was God. Oh my gosh, we've completely misread this. Just like it says, those are the things that they did not hear, they all of a sudden understand. Why did Jesus die? Oh, he was God. But why would he be on the... Oh. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, peace with God, was upon him. See, you've got peace with God today. You say, well, I've got a relationship with God. I've got a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's like, I'm a Christian. I have faith in you. You know why you got that? Because God crushed Jesus. Because if He hadn't crushed Jesus, you would not have peace with God. It's like you would be, still be an enemy of God. You would still be considered unrighteous. But because God crushed Him, now you can go to God in peace. How? I come in peace jesus name i have accepted what jesus did God says there's only one way to come to me and that's through what jesus has done what my son has done for you yeah but look at all the things i'm doing i'm not impressed my son died on the cross for your sins yeah but i'm really starting to clean up my act i've got all these good deeds right here look how nice i am i'm even kind to my neighbors it's like not impressed you wicked and unfaithful servant there's only one. what about my son what about me you, you comparing yourself to my son dying on the cross for the sins of the world? Well, I'm trying pretty hard. You wicked and unfaithful servant, get away from me. There's, you're, you can't do anything. So the only reason I have peace with God is because of Jesus. Well, yeah, but I have Bible study in my house. So, you know, I kind of got an in with God because... No, no, you don't. You have an in with God because of Jesus. Without Jesus you're going to hell without jesus you're condemned without jesus there's no there's no peace you still have a huge issue but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed we all like sheep have gone astray each one of us has turned to his own way we all have our own way of rejecting god and walking in our own sin and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Each of us has our own particular way of rebelling against God. All of that was put on Christ. Now I, I rebel, you rebel, It may be different, but we all rebelled. Everyone like sheep. Everyone is just wandered off. And all of that was put on God, Christ. Or whoever this whoever this servant is. See, I'm saying Christ, I'm saying Jesus. How's Isaiah doing this? I mean, how, how's Isaiah doing it? How, how's Israel doing this? I mean. They've got answers for it, but this is, this is the Messiah who has to be the suffering servant. And this is, again, where the people of, of the first century would have missed it. They're looking for Isaiah 63, the one striding forth in glory, coming back, coming out of Eden. We're looking for the great king. Well, what we have, He's coming, but he's first got to do Isaiah 53. He's got to die for the sins. He, he's not even going to look like God. And the only way you'll know it is if you understand this. And he's taken away the sins. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet we did not, but yet he did not open his mouth. In other words, he didn't say, stop it, stop it, I'm really God. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, like from Pilate's, uh, or Herod's palace, where Pilate was, out to Golgotha. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep before shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. That explains, possibly, why he kept his mouth shut in front of Herod Antipas, why he was so quiet in front of Pilate and the high priest. Now, he had a conversation with Pilate, had some conversation with the high priest, but he was not trying to justify himself. He just, hey, I'm here to do one thing, go to the cross. So, however you're going to justify getting me there, go ahead and do it. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut, here's a word, cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. That'd be Isaiah. For the transgression of Isaiah's people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich, Joseph of Arimathea in his death. though again, it does not say Joseph of Arimathea, but the rich in his death. So he was assigned a grave with the wicked, that'd be the thieves on the cross uh, and with the rich in his death. That'd be Joseph of Arimathea. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his life or prolong his days. Although he was the one that's going to die, the Lord will let him see the results. Like a a lamb sacrifice would die and that's it. He is going to suffer and die. It was the Lord's will. But yet, he's going to get to see the results of his sacrifice, which again would require the resurrection. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. What is the will of the Lord? That is the kingdom come. Now this is where the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand, salvation and the kingdom. And after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Resurrection. By his knowledge, my righteous servants will justify many. So the righteous servants who are following God, waiting for the sacrifice, even Abel was waiting for the sacrifice. Abraham was waiting for the sacrifice. All the prophets are waiting for the sacrifice. They will see it, and the righteous servants who are waiting they will justify many by proclaiming his name and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong uh, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And so there's, that's Isaiah 15. Now I want to point this out and I'm running out of time. Once again, uh, Going back to chapter 53, verse 8, for he was cut off. He was cut off. I want to go to Daniel chapter 9. And this is, and we're going to have to do this again next week. I'm so sorry. Daniel chapter 9, looking right around verse 24. And now if you want to, you can look at uh, a page uh, the back page of the notes and uh i've got you don't have to accept this is not this is not pure math okay this is not like a a scholarly approach with all the solar and lunar and 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 research behind it that you can find but it's enough to kind of kick the ball towards that end of the field and say wow we're within scoring range Uh, so here we are first of all daniel chapter 9 verse 1 if you look at daniel chapter 9 verse 1 this is daniel it says in the first year of darius son of xerxes now this really ties well into tuesday nights with nehemiah but this is 539 bc is when Daniel's going to receive this. The first year of Cyrus. Cyrus has just come in. Babylon has fallen. Belshazzar's party has just taken place. And the Persians have just taken over the Babylonian empire. Okay, so that's when this vision <coughs> takes place. And again, we're not going to go through the whole thing because it, it does involve <coughs> uh, um, many, many things. But understand right here, verse 24. Uh it says in verse 21, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen earlier vision, came to me in swift light. So Gabriel's going to come and bring this message. To So this is an angel speaking, Gabriel, the same one who spoke to Zachariah, in the, in John the Baptist. Um, he stands at the right hand of God. Verse 24, he says, 77s are decreed for your people and for your holy city to, to do these things. So in... In 539 BC, 70 sevens. And this sevens means weeks, but it's a week of seven, something. It could be seven days. It could be a week of seven years. It could be a, a, a seven, anything. It doesn't mean seven years. Uh, it, 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 the word means a set of seven. And but we're going to accept this as years. So there is 77s, 490, years decreed for your people and your people would be for israel and of course israel is a nation in the world um and it says from okay uh, for your and here's what's going to take place what's what's going to take place in those 490 years Uh, for your people and your holy city that'd be jerusalem to finish transgression and that would be finished with jesus To put an end to sin. That would be to to get ready so we have no more sin. We're going to to enter into the millennium. We're going to put an end to this. Transgressions will be ended. Sin will be ended. Um, To atone for wickedness. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy, which means seal it up means everything that was prophesied is now here. We're going to seal it up. We're done prophesying because you no longer need prophecy because we've arrived and God is now dwelling with man. Prophecy is God's way of communicating with man and and telling him where we're going. Give him some money. But we're going to seal it up. We're going to reach the end. We don't need it anymore because God's here. Uh, And atone for the most holy. Know and understand this. So that's going to take place these 490 years total. But now, no one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So of these seventy sevens, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, when does that take place? Well, I'm, we, we we got several dates, but that is going to be 445. That's basically Nehemiah chapter 2 when Nehemiah talks to Artaxerxes and has issued a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Anointed One, which is Messiah, comes, until Messiah comes, there's going to be 62 of those sevens, and there's going to be uh, seven... Let me read it, get it right... Uh, uh, okay will be seven sevens and 62 sevens so there's going to be a period of seven sevens and 62 sevens or 69 of the sevens so now 69 times seven is 483 of the 490 years you got that between the decree and 445 until the messiah comes there's going to be 483 years now I did this the other night. 445, if you just, now again, 445 minus 483. Help me do the math here. 5 minus 3, all my numbers correct. 445, that's a 2. Have to uh, change this to, well, wait, wait, let me do it this way so I can do it, yeah, right? 483, 445, this becomes a 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that's 8. 7, thir- that would be 38 A.D., you see? That's, that's not 30 A.D., that's not 33 A.D., that's 38 A.D. <coughs> that's, Paul's already gotten saved by 38 A.D. Okay, now, 483 years. Now, in Revelation, it talks about three and a half years. Daniel does the same thing. And those three and a half years are described also as being called 42 months, or 1,260 days, three and a half years, 42 months, th- not 1,260 days. That works if you've got 360 days per year times for, uh, 42. Uh, if you've got 360 days per year, three years is 0, 18, uh, 9, uh, 10 right and then we got to have 180 more right is this going to work out 16 20, 1260 right okay i didn't have that on my notes so this is 1260 days for three and a half years based on the lunar calendar of uh, there's 30 days a month for 12 months so 12 times 30 Zero six, three hundred sixty six, 360 days a year. That gets you at 1,260 days in revelation. But there are not 360 days in the year. There are 365. And then what do we say? Uh, a fourth. There's, that's why we have to have a leaper every four years. So there's 365. So we're going to forget the fourth right now. You need to figure the fourth in to do this right. We're going to forget that. And that's where we're on this last page. So if you have, and this is this is all written out now, if you've got 483 years, and you're going to take that times 360 days per year, you can see why I did this ahead of time. That equals 1,000 or 173,880 days, but that's lunar but there's actually 365 on a solar calendar. So our, from 445 B.C., when the decree was given, that Daniel was told in 539, 445 B.C. was the, the decree. We're going to use that date. When does the Messiah come? Uh, he comes around 30 A.D. Okay, you could say somewhere, you know, that's debatable. Died in 33, died in 30 A.D. Okay, <clears throat> you add three, take 360 lunar days, that gives you this, but there are actually 365 days. So what you're going to need to do is take that 365 and divide this by 365 to get the number of years, which is 476 and 3 8 of a year, 476 years. And now you subtract 445 from 476, forget the 3.8, that's part of a year. So this is the years, and that's 360. Do you understand what I'm saying? 360 days in a prophetic year. The lunar, every every month has 30 days. But every month doesn't have 30 days. There's actually 365 days. So we take the total number of days, 483 years of 360 days per year. You're going to get this many days. Divided by 365, you're going to get this many years. And now when you take this and subtract it, you get, guess what? 31 A.D. From the time that Nehemiah went into Artaxerxes and said, I need to rebuild the city, he says, go, rebuild the city. And it's going to be told, Daniel's going to be told, it will be rebuilt in times of trouble, including trenches. And we're reading Nehemiah. It's built in times of trouble. From the issuing of that decree, now didn't start building until 444, but the issuing of the decree was 445. Nehemiah took the paperwork. From the time he walked out of of, of that office with Artaxerxes, there's going to be, in our time, 365 days a year, there's going to be 476 solar years, which means the Messiah is going to come walking in 31 AD. Now, we haven't done leap years yet. you still got, every one of these years has Every, every, every year you've got to have a fourth of a day. And so that's going to change a little bit, get it even closer. But anyway, that's what I've got right on there. And if you follow this out, if you take this 0.38 and you turn it into uh, months, so that's 0.38 one hundredths. What is that over 12? You know, like, you, you do a ratio like I do right here. That ends up being... Four point five six, or it becomes April, and .56 so almost April sixteenth of thirty-one A.D. Now you realize how Nisan is when Palm Sunday takes place. Nisan is the month the crucifixion takes place. Thirty, I think it's thirty A.D. Some say it's thirty-three A.D. So that's right in the middle of it, and we haven't figured in the leap years yet. So that ideal of the now, watch this. I'm back in Daniel. It says, uh, it, and I, I've got to quit, I know. Until the anointed one comes, the ruler comes. And again, the ruler, that means your king. The king is coming in this many years, in, in 483 years. The, the ruler, the king, Israel's king is coming. And that's why Palm Sunday was a big deal because they're saying he's here. This is the fulfillment of all this. Zachariah says he'll come riding in on a donkey on that day comes there'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens it the city when it's decreed in 445 bc daniel's being told this by gabriel in 539 bc the city will be rebuilt with streets and a trench but in times of trouble read nehemiah and we are after 62 sevens after the this right here after this 476 year or whatever the date comes up right here When that day gets here, after the 483 sevens are passed, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one, the Messiah, will be cut off. That's what I say. He was cut off. He will be cut off and will have nothing. What do you mean? He won't have anything? No possession? No. No kingdom. The Messiah, the king, the ruler will come in this year. But when he comes, he's going to be killed. He'll be cut off and will have nothing, no, nothing, the kingdom. He will not get the kingdom. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and sanctuary. The end will come like a flood and war will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will con- then goes on and we'll talk more about that sometime in the future. But nonetheless, that is kind of how that all breaks down. Again, if you don't understand this, I apologize. I could slow it down a little bit. You've got some notes there. Basically, Daniel was told in 539 B.C. by Gabriel that there's 490 years, 77s. But in the 483rd year, from the issuing of the decree by Artaxerxes, go back and rebuild Jerusalem, from the issuing of the decree, there's going to be 483 years. That's 360-day years. You times figure out how many days it is. It's actually 476 of our years. So we can put it on our calendar. It comes up to 31 A.D., Without figuring in leap years, you could get closer than that. Your other options for this date right here, the issuing, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, you could use, right here at the bottom of the page, you could use uh, 539 B.C. When, when Cyrus came in, or 538 B.C. when Cyrus sent the people back, or you could use 458 and 457 when Ezra comes back. But this is when Cyrus sends the people back, Ezra is when they go back to establish the law of the Lord and the law of Persia, but it was 445 when they go back to rebuild the city. So you can choose 539, 538. You can choose 458, 457, but that was to send the people back. 458 was to establish law. 445 was to rebuild the city, and now your countdown begins, and you end up right around... I mean, you've got Jesus walking in on that. In fact, he says, if you only knew what day this was. If He said on, on Palm Sunday, if you only knew what day this was. It was this day right here. Again, we can clean the mouth of I'll pray and we're done. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we may be faithful and that we would not be distracted by this age, the suffering of this age, even the glories of this age, but we would be faithful to you, proclaiming the word of God, living in the word of God, looking for the kingdom of God to come in this earth. Father, we do thank you for being uh, revealed to us that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's paid for our sins, and ask that we may do our part in sharing that information with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time. And if you have any questions, obviously there should be some questions tonight.